Good morning. I think I'm on. Yeah. I'm thankful for another day. I hope you are. God's grace to live and just just as a, a thing to notice, the world hasn't ended last week like everyone thought it was going to end. I know y'all all were stocking up on food and um, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that we need to be praying for, but God is still on the throne and that has not changed. So continue to trust that God will direct and protect and keep His people. Even when it seems like the trend is different. So I believe one of the ways that He does that is through the spiritual gifts. That's why I think it's such an important message for us today. We need His Spirit to be moving in our midst, not so that we can be something great, but so that we can serve Him and honor Him and glorify Him as a church and care for one another and edify and build up one another. So if you'll stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of gift of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Father, I pray this morning that we would understand what it means to see Your miracle working power in our midst, that we would understand what it means to be empowered by Your Spirit with this gift of miracles. I pray, Father, that You would encourage us and awaken our faith, just as I believe You have in the past few messages with each of these gifts that we've we've looked at already. I pray with this as well, Lord, that there would be a peak in our interest and expectation, Father, that You would work in our midst with some of us in this way, or that we would see your miracle working power in our church today and going forward, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would rest upon me and that you would give me wisdom, knowledge, clarity, Lord, that my heart for you would shine through this message. I pray, Lord, that your truth would be evident in everything that I say. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and your grace to me in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we can be seated, of course. I want to title today's message, Powers That Work Miracles. Powers That Work Miracles. When I thought about power, I thought of Alfred Nobel. Have you heard that name? you know who that was? Well, there's a peace prize that is given every year by his, under his name. And there's actually multiple awards that are given under his name every year in Sweden, I believe it is, if I'm right, Norway, somewhere up there, up in the cold. And, but we don't know his life story. How did he become famous? Where did he get all this money that is now a trust that gives money to these Nobel Peace Prize winners or in these scientific prize winners? Well, 
Nobel had a fascination with nitroglycerin, which some of you are looking at me, what? Well, nitroglycerin is a part of dynamite. It's the liquid that has the power. So he had a fascination with this, but the problem with nitroglycerin is it was super powerful, but no one could contain the power. No one could transport it because it was a force-enacted power. So if something shook, it could explode. And it was a clear liquid. It looked just like water. If you put it in a in a jug, it would just look like water. And so he was fascinated with this and figuring out a way to contain the power and keep it from becoming too powerful and out of human control. So he invented a cap for it. The original one was just a cork bottle with a fuse that came up, was screwed through it so that the when you lit the fuse, it would go down and that heat would impact the that nitroglycerin that was in a, encased. Unfortunately, that was not the only answer. He patented that and everybody was excited about that, but that didn't fix the problem. And honestly, what happened is he lost his brother in a factory accident at his house. His brother Emil died packing up a bunch of nitroglycerin for a engineering company that was building a bridge. But that didn't keep Nobel from pursuing this dream of containing the power of nitroglycerin. So he kept testing. He tried mixing coal with it. Maybe that would help it be more stable. He tried sawdust. Maybe is the sawdust soak up the liquid. It would help it be less volatile. And then finally, one day on the banks of the lake that he was working on, he noticed all these, this like clayish dirt that was kind of like grinded up shells. Thought, well, maybe I can put this with it. So he took it, and it was it was just fossilized algae. He took it and he put it together with the nitroglycerin, and finally he had a substance that wouldn't explode on impact for the first time. And this substance is what you see a lot of times if you've seen a movie where somebody's cracking a safe. That's what it is. It's just that substance with nitroglycerin all mixed in, and it's like a putty. So he figured that out. He put it in these tubes. He made a new blasting cap that had uh, gunpowder in it, and he made that, and he called it dynamite. You know why he called it dynamite? Because he knew Greek. And he knew, we all know this, because Mr. Hamilton always said this, but he stole the word dunamis from Greek, which means power, and he he added "ite" to the end of it, and he had dynamite. So he became famous as the dynamite king. But one day he read his obituary. <laughs> like what? Somebody thought he had died because somebody else named Nobel had died, and they had written his obituary. And in his obituary, he found out that people thought he was a wicked man because he had gained money because he also had an arms company. He sold cannons and all kinds of weaponry. So he decided to take his entire fortune. He had no children. He took his entire fortune and put it into the Nobel Trust and created, I think it's five prizes. And the Peace Prize is the one we all know about, but there are multiple prizes. And now he has a legacy of something totally different than what people thought about him before he died when they thought he had died. I'm saying, well, what in the world does Alfred Nobel have to do with anything we're talking about today? Well, I'm just thinking about this word power. We see it here in chapter 12 and verse 10. 
which is our text. It says, and to another, the effecting of miracles. We could literally translate the words here, effecting of miracles, workings of miracles, or workings of powers. The second word here that is translated miracles is actually the word that is dunamis in the plural. So, powers. And I was thinking about this power, and it is incontainable. The power of God cannot be contained. It cannot be stopped. Just like if you take a piece of dynamite and you put it in a rock mountain, the mountain will give, not the other way around. I don't think Nobel was wrong in naming his stick of power dynamite because it was powerful. But our God is more powerful, and He has promised this to His church through the Spirit. The workings of powers. His power, not ours. And if we desire to see His power work right, what do we do? We stay in the confines of His direction. We don't decide that we are the one who holds the power. We talked about this some last week. We don't decide that we know a better way to work in this power. We listen to the giver. So if God in His grace pours out this specific gift on you, then there are a couple things that you need to think about and we need I need to think about. God does not give the gifts of miracles here, the workings of powers here, so that we can just do the same thing every time and it's going to work that way. It's going to be different. That's why I believe that it's plural workings and plural powers. God will work and He does it in different ways. I mean, you don't see Jesus doing the exact same thing in His ministry. And there's going to be an example with Elisha. Do you remember when we were talking about Elijah last week when he laid on the young man and he came to life? Do you remember that? Well, this week, we're not going to look at this example, but Elijah did, Elisha does something a little similar, except he laid on him eye to eye, mouth to mouth, like perfectly. It, it gives a lot different. It's similar, but it's still different. So when God empowers us in this way, it will be different. Many times it may be similar, but it's not always going to be different, the same. So we need to be listening to the Lord. How shall we apply what he's saying? What is he telling us to do? And are we listening? And I think this is plural too, because, and we should be thinking about this, it's specifically for the purpose of a particular miracle that this working power is given at that moment. I believe that person will work in many different ways. I don't think it's, as some commentators want to say, just a one-off kind of deal. I believe that there are people who are given this gift, and it will affect in many different ways. But what I'm saying is, when God directs you to move in this way, in a miracle, and it's not just um, something outside of healing, I, I believe healing and miracles are very similar. And I'll show that today in the examples that I give. But that when we are directed to move by the Spirit in these miracles, we need to be listening because God has given direct um, application and how to go about it with each one, I believe. 
I think that's why the words that are used are the way they are. We can't assume, essentially, that every method... Let's say God tells you to to go and say to someone, I think you have a demonic spirit and you need to go through deliverance. That would be a miracle. It's kind of a healing as well. Um, Because that demonic spirits also affect the physical realm. So let's say God tells you to go to someone and do that. And through you, the power of the spirit, you cast out that demon. Now you see someone else that's acting similar, but you haven't heard from the Lord to go talk to that person. But you decide, well, that person was acting that way. I'm just going to go tell them the same thing. You're using the same method as though it's prescribed by God. But it's not. And so this is where we need to be sensitive. If if the Lord moves in our lives, as if one of us becomes and is empowered in this way, we need to be sensitive to God's prescription for every miracle. And I'm not talking about drugs. But you know what I mean. How are we to act? What are we to do? What are we to say? We need to be led by the Spirit. That's what the Spirit-led life is about, discerning what the Spirit is saying. We need to let the Lord direct instead of taking the driver's seat. Because a lot, or really, how often do we think about this? Not all that is supposed to be a miracle is a miracle. The devil is very good at doing imitations if he can draw you away. And so we need to be listening I believe with all my heart, God desires to work miracles in our midst. And I believe that someone even here today will be empowered in this way. And I want us to be encouraged and encouraging one another in this way and and to be constantly seeking to be true to the Word, not to what other people think. Because not everyone will have this gift. And you say, well, how in the world can you know that? Well, look with me just across the page in uh, chapter or verse 28 of chapter 12. Paul is asking a question. And, you know, he says, and God is appointing the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, same word, same word that's translated workings or can be workings, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, very times on. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? This is the dunamis word again. Not all have this power of the Spirit working in them. So not everyone in this body is going to have this gift. But someone or someones will, and when we are, we need to remember this message. Kind of a a guardrail to keep us from becoming what we've seen many miracle workers or healers become. People who went astray because they forgot who gave, They forgot the giver. So not only is everything that is named a miracle is not a miracle, not all that is true, but also those who are given workings of miracles are not exhibitionists. Come on, come to the circus. We'll we'll show you how it's done. Have you seen a revival video or something where people are trying to get you to come to their revival? You're going to see the heat, death healed, the blind rate, you know, the blind seeing and the lame walking. We're going to do this. 
No. When Jesus was walking the earth, was he running around telling people to come to his show? No, he was saying, keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody. Don't, don't talk to anybody about this. Keep it, keep it on the DL as we say today. Down low if you're not young enough to understand that. Keep it on the down low. We don't want everybody to know. This Renewal Theology book by Williams that I've been reading, he had a really good point here. He said, In a revival, a church meeting, or a prayer group, the moment there emerges a desire to show off, nothing will happen, at least nothing from God. Miracles are not the display pieces for those seeking to demonstrate their own powers. I really like that last part. Miracles are not the display piece, pieces of those seeking to demonstrate their own powers. It's not about us. These powers come from the Holy Spirit. And they're to be directed and driven by the Spirit. And that is my last point here as a warning before we look at examples. These Gift, this gift, this move of God, the workings of miracles, is not man-driven, but God-given and directed. When we begin to see someone saying they're moving in miracles or healings or any of these gifts, and we see that their life is not directed by God, that should be a warning flag. Oh, Something's wrong here. My, my radar is saying this is a foreign power, not God's power. So not all that's supposed to be a miracle is a miracle. Those who are given the workings of miracles are not exhibitionists and these Gifts are given by God and directed by God, not driven by man. So let's see some examples of men given and directed by God. If you'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to look at Elisha. There is no doubt in my mind that he had this gift. No doubt. You say, how is that, how do you know that? You can't do the things that he did without this gift. So, remember he was with Elijah, he asked for a double portion of his spirit. On his way back from there, he goes to Jericho. They're having water problems. After he convinces them that Elijah is gone up in the up in a chariot of fire, which I don't know how, why they didn't believe him. But they went searching. They sent a hundred men to go look for him. They couldn't find him. So finally he's at Jericho. And they say, we, our water's bad. There's nothing we can do here. We're, it's, we're having miscarriage. We're having death. It's just causing sickness. So he heals the water by the power of God. And he, he places a blessing on it. He says, there will be no more death caused by this water and no more miscarriages. Wow. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. But that's not it. Then he's on his way, I think it's to Bethel, and on his way there's these young men, youth, who are mocking him because he's bald. So you should be careful who you mock that's bald. Um, calling him the hoary head old man. What does he do? He curses them in the name of the Lord and a bear comes out of the woods and tears 42 of them apart. You say, well, that sounds a little extreme. He did it in the name of the Lord, so God must have saw a reason to do it. 
We're not preaching that message today. But that's not it. Then he's called by the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom to come together because Jehoshaphat doesn't believe the king of Israel's prophets. I don't know why. Except for the fact he probably shouldn't have been hanging out with the king of Israel because he knew he was not a godly man. And Elisha makes it clear. He says, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat being here, I wouldn't even be here. Why? Because God had a relationship with Jehoshaphat, not with the king of Israel. And he prophesied about the defeat of Moab. And then, here we are, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. We've probably all heard this story at one point, but it says, Now a certain woman of the wives of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. It's a pretty terrible state, right? And Elisha said to her, what, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Isn't it interesting? Elisha asked for what she had. Anyways, think, just keep that in the back of your mind. Then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. So what is the first principle we see here in this miracle? It's not a one-sided miracle, right? She has to trust him. Why? Because she's about to take action. So those are two principles I think we're going to see in every single story that I share today. Every example is you, it requires ongoing trust in God and it requires action on the part, generally speaking, of not only the one working the miracle by the power of the Spirit, but the one receiving if it's a person. So, she has to go and borrow vessels from all her neighbors. If she didn't believe, why would she go and do that? So she had to have trust. So, and then in verse 4, he gives her more directions. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons. I don't know why they had to do it behind closed doors, but... Uh, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went in from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. What? Right then? It stopped? When the last vessel was full, it stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Wow. She has three sets of directions. If she had stopped trusting on one, would two and three have happened? No. She would have never been freed of her debt if she hadn't listened to the man of God who spoke. So this is something that should be heeded here. We need discernment, so I'm not taking that out of the picture. But if God begins to work in, in us, and one of us, and God directs that person to come to us, we should take it seriously. Not that we don't practice discernment, but we need to be heeding the move of the Spirit, just like this woman did. Because when she kept trusting what God had said through Elisha, the miracle came. Her sons weren't slaves. And not only that, they had extra to live on. 
I mean, in that day, that is a, a big deal because her husband had died. There was no way to make the kind of money that her husband could make. And that's not... There's another story. I'm not done. Because he also... There's the miracle next of the Shunammite woman who God blesses and causes to be pregnant and has a son. Then she he raises the Shunammite son from the dead, which I already mentioned that story earlier. Then he goes to Gilgal and there's a poisonous stew. He heals the stew so that no one's getting sick. I mean, this is just like bang, 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 bang. Then we know the story of Naaman. He was healed by dipping seven times in the Jordan, that filthy river. In chapter 5. But that's not the end. We have the axe head story, remember? They were chopping wood and the the guy had borrowed the, the axe head and the axe head fell in the the water and they're like oh no i i don't have anything to pay back for this i borrowed this my said okay he threw a stick out a piece of wood out and the axe head floated now i've never seen an axe head float maybe you have maybe it's one of those fake toy axe heads that you see at a football game, but you're not going to see an axe head floating except by a miracle. But I want us to go back real quick to chapter 4, verse 42. This story, I don't know that I've ever heard this, remembered this story. Let's read. Now a man came from Baal Shashlalish, uh, I should have practiced that word, but anyways. (laughs) And brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. He's bringing this kind of as an offering to the Lord. And he said, give them to the people that they may eat. Does this sound familiar? Maybe. Okay. And his attendant said, uh, what? Will I set this before a hundred men? Does this sound familiar? Okay. But he said, give them to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Man, I feel like this might be pointing to someone. If there's ever an Old Testament example that points to Christ, I would say this one does. So he set before them, and they ate, and had, shockingly, some left over. According to the word of the Lord. Now, if Elisha was not empowered by the Spirit in this way, as we're talking about today, I don't know who was in the Old Testament. I mean, you see the number of miracles in his life. It is astonishing, extraordinary. I would say he received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Which, what was he talking about? The spirit of God that was upon Elijah. Oh, I forgot the first time. When Elisha was coming back from the chariot, he had to cross the Jordan. Do you think he swam the river? No. He took Elijah's mantle and touched the water and it let him walk through. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Your first miracle is walking through the Jordan. I mean, you were an apprentice up to that point, and now you are the prophet of God. 
Okay. We have this great example, but guess what? There's a greater one coming. Turn with me to John chapter 6. You thought feeding a hundred with 20 loaves of barley and some ears of corn? John chapter 6. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So Jesus has been working with the gifts of healings. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover and the Feast of the Jews was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread? Sorry, yes. Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Similar to Elisha, right? Elisha wants to feed the people. And Jesus looking up, he has compassion. We see in another uh, version of this. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. He's testing Philip. Kind of like, I don't know that Elisha was testing his attendant, but his attendant didn't see what was happening, right? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. For everyone to receive a little, just a little bit. We could maybe give them crumbs for 200 denarii. That's a lot of money. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. Or two fish. I don't know why I said fishes. We know fishes, plural. <laughs> two fish. But what are these for so many people? Okay. Backtrack to Elisha. How many barley loaves did they have? Twenty. And they had some ears of corn. Or grain or something. I can't remember what it was. Corn. Corn. So, but here... Jesus only has five barley loaves and just two little fishes. And Andrew and all the disciples are looking at Jesus like, I mean, we can might get crumbs off of this, but by the time it gets to everybody else, there's no way. How's that enough? So Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Wow. Multiply. I guess if you go down to fewer barley loaves, the more you should be able to feed, right? That's how the, the restaurant industry works. They just buy less for more people. No, that, that doesn't make sense at all. This is completely illogical, impossible. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also the fish, fish as, much, as much as they wanted. So what? Did, remember what he said at first? He said, well, I mean, with 200 denarii, we might give them a little. But what does it say here? As much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. You're telling me 
that five barley loaves fit in 12 baskets after feeding 5,000 people? That is a miracle. This is the God who lives and breathes and gives this church life. And if we don't believe that, then we might as well walk out the door because Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And if He is not the head, then who is? And He has promised to His people in John 14, chapter verse 12, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do also. And greater works than these will He will do because I go to the Father. What does that mean? Directly following this verse, He talks about sending the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we need to go out to a grassy knoll and invite 5,000 people out and try to feed them. I already got at the point that God's methods are different. This was different than what happened with Elisha. It was far more powerful with far less food. And it was done differently. But what I'm saying is we serve a God who moved that way in the Old Testament. He moved that way through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is on the throne and has sent His Spirit to us. Why don't we expect it? And I'm not just talking about miracles. I'm talking about healing and everything that the Spirit promises. This isn't about what we deserve. This is about what God has promised to us. Because when God moves, there won't be deficiency in His power. When dynamite blows up a mountain, it doesn't leave anything in its path. Nobel realized that when he saw the factory that he had once been in only moments before when his brother died. That thing was a shell because of that explosion. We can never contain the power of God. We're just conduits for the power to move through us to His church. This is about the common good. Remember I read that when we were reading? The gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. The common good of the assembly of God that is gathered together. And just in case the 5,000 was enough, in this same chapter, Jesus, He doesn't part a sea, He walks on it. I don't know of a single case of that ever happening before. It's interesting, when you think about that, who did He invite to walk on water with Him? Peter? What did Peter have to do to walk on water? He had to trust. Remember I talked about trust? Ongoing trust? What happened as Peter started to take steps towards Jesus? He started to sink. Why? His trust began to wane. He began to realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm doing a miracle. I'm I'm doing something that's not possible in human means. I'm walking on water. But it also required Peter's action. Right? Jesus said, come to me. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat and walked. Did anybody else in the boat get out and walk? No. It's We're not talking about the other people. This was all about Peter at that moment. Why they didn't get out of the boat, we don't know. But Peter was the one who had this conversation with the Lord and he stepped out. He took action. 
And so I, I want to encourage us with all the spiritual gifts that we're talking about, if we are being led by the Spirit and we sense the Lord moving us in one of these areas, we need to trust that God is in control and take steps of faith to begin to see those gifts flow. I'm not saying that there may be mistakes making, made. It's possible for us to misunderstand, but we need to be with one another. We need to be gracious and allow the Lord to move and keep us humble and see those things happen. But Jesus, I mean, this is just one of the miracles that Jesus performed, right? I mean, in the book of John, we see miracles like, uh, we talked about this once, healing the man who was born blind, born blind, from birth. So much so, the people, the Pharisees did not want to believe that he was the same one, right? And he said, I know, (laughs) it was him. He raised the dead. We saw that some in the Old Testament. But raising Lazarus after four, three days in the grave, remember they said, he stinketh now. He's, he stank. This smells bad in there. Don't, don't open the tomb. Well, does, did the New Testament church experience miracles? Surely not. I mean, it all stopped with Jesus and the apostles. It didn't go beyond that. Well, we do have an example of the apostle in Acts chapter 3, verse 2. Acts chapter 3, verse 2 says, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, similar, right? The other man had been blind from his mother's womb. This man had never, ever walked, never, ever learned to walk. Keep that in mind. Was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. What do we see here? He's asking the man to take action. It's not a big action, but looking. And he began to give them his attention. So he obeyed. He listened expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus, Christ the Nazarene. Walk. I don't know if he yelled it or if he just said, walk. My version has a a big, you know, exclamation point here. But I don't know that that was in the original Greek or not. But... He says, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright. Wait, time out. I think we have a problem. How did he know how to jump? He had never walked before. So he had to, I mean, what if Peter reached down and grabbed his hand and he just sat there like, oh, nothing's going to happen. Can you imagine Peter trying to lift him up and he's just over there, dead fish, limp fish hanging from his hand? No, this man took Peter at his word, began to trust Peter, and when he comes up, he's... I'm sure he's feeling the power of God moving in his body. And when he does that, he jumps and he begins to walk. 
We see faith and action together here. They, he's trusting the word of Peter and that it's in the name of Jesus. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This man, moments before, had never walked. Now he's walking and he's leaping. I bet he could dunk if they'd had basketball back then. The amount of excitement that he had at that moment, he probably could have jumped and done pole vaulting. Who knows? I mean, he was probably just ecstatic. And what happened? Verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what God happened. What, sorry, at what had happened to him. They were amazed, shocked. This is the power of God. And if you think, well, it stopped with the apostles. Okay. You're going down that road. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Verse 6 and following. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. He's he's gone to the city of Samaria and he's preaching there. And they're listening. As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Okay, was Philip an apostle? No. Not this Philip, I don't think. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm messing things up. But no matter what, here here I go making a statement. But as they heard and saw the signs of forming, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. That is a miracle. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. But Philip wasn't done. What's, it's interesting, Philip is preaching here, but the Spirit doesn't fall on the people. At Philip's preaching, which is weird, strange. They were being baptized, but... They, they, none of them experienced that. And it actually says in verse 13, even Simon himself, who was a magician, he believed on and was baptized. And he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. This magician who had been doing fake miracles through the power of the devil was amazed at the power that God had given Philip through his spirit. Constantly. That means that every moment he turned around, he's like, what? You did that? Oh, that too? Oh my, this is crazy. Every day is different. Every miracle is a powerful that I've never seen before. If that's not a miracle, if those aren't miracles, I don't know what is. Not only that, through the power of the Spirit, this is what it says. Let's look at verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's in Samaria. Up here, and Jerusalem's here, 
Gaza's over here by the sea. So he's saying, go to that road. Kind of backwards for me, so maybe I should turn around, but just look at a map. And it says this. It's a desert road. It's going to the desert. It's a road that goes is on the way to Egypt. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said to him, Do you understand what you're reading? Saying, How is this a miracle? Have you ever heard of a chariot going slow? You think that chariot was going like a mile an hour? No, I believe that Philip was supernaturally empowered to run like the wind. I don't know how many miles per hour Philip was running. Might look like the old road runner, um, comic, uh, what, uh, cartoons. I don't know what I'm, I'm going blank, but the old run, road runner cartoons. I, I'm pretty sure that the, Ethiopian eunuch was probably a little surprised to have somebody running beside his chariot talking to him until it stopped. And through this, God brings salvation to to this eunuch. And some believe that through this eunuch, the church in Ethiopia was born. I don't know if it's true or not. God only knows. But we don't have to stop there. We see God's power moving throughout the New Testament. And we don't have to look far today to see God's power in miracles. I know many of you have read Bevington's book, Remarkable Miracles. I was actually looking for it this morning. I couldn't find it on my bookshelf. I don't know who's got it, but if you do, return it. Um, Just his life. Not that long ago, God was working miracles in his life. But that's not it. I mean, Wigglesworth was another person that God was using. God has not gotten out of the healing and miracle business. Despite what many people are saying, he's still in it. And if there's a time... More than ever, it's today. We need His miracles flowing in our body, not so that we, again, can make ourselves famous. This is about God's glory. There should be, this church should be healthy and whole and, and seeing God's power moving because we are the children of God. He's promised that we will do the works that Christ did alone. I mean, just that idea. You mean that there's a possibility that God could use one of us to feed 5,000 if it was a necessary need? Do you mean that if our government decided to, to make it where you had to have a vaccine to go to the store and buy food, and you couldn't, that God couldn't multiply the peanut butter in your peanut butter jar or, or multiply the, the bread you've got in your, your pantry? Yes, He can. God will take care of His people. He's always has and He hasn't stopped. I think the biggest problem is a lack of expectancy. I really do. Williams, in that Renewal Theology book, He said, if we truly believe in Christ and His promises of mighty works, then the atmosphere becomes increasingly expectant for Him to move mightily. I'll read it again. If we truly believe in Christ and His promises of mighty works, 
then the atmosphere becomes increasingly expectant for Him to move mightily. The question is, do we believe? Are we pressing in during the week? We're thinking about these things. Lord, I want to see Your move here. I want to experience Your presence in ways I never have before, not for my own gain, but for the good of this church. I want to be used by You. I want to come to church Sunday morning wondering what you're going to do next. Wondering how you're going to provide for the needs of this church. And the needs of the lost in this community who need to hear the gospel. With signs, not without. That's the biggest thing that I have an issue with people who, they want to say, well, the Spirit was just an initiary force that was using these sign gifts to, to confirm the gospel for a time period. One, there's nowhere in Scripture that says anything among like that. And secondly, has the gospel gone to all the nations already? Has Is the only reason we're seeing miracles outside of the United States because those people don't have this concept of no miracles is expectancy the problem it could be i'm not saying you are the problem i could be the problem i know sometimes coming in on sunday morning or even wednesday night when we have prayer it's easy to be distracted with life and just think well i just don't maybe god will show up that'd be great have a break from the hard of the day. But we need to keep seeking His presence and asking Him, Lord, move in our midst. Because Paul says, seek earnestly. It's not problematic because the Spirit gives to ask Him to move in that way. To ask Him to come and give His gifts. Because we need all these, not just one. We don't just need healings to flow in this church. We don't just need miracles to flow in this church. We don't just need the gifts of, spe- of speaking in tongues and interpretation or prophecy or words of knowledge and w- words of wisdom. We need it all. We need faith. We need His Spirit because it is a deposit of His power in our midst. And He gives to each one as He sees fit. It doesn't make one better than the other. We'll get to that when we finally stop reading these few verses here. But I don't think we should think of it as finally. So I think it's a great fact that we're getting to see ways in which God has already promised His church to move. We might have great doctrine here, but we need His Spirit to move. And then we have to be careful not to let it swing the other pendulum like we've seen many Pentecostal churches go the other way where there's no doctrine and lots of seeming miracles, whether they are or not. That's a different story. But we need to be faithful to God's Word and expecting His Spirit to move. When we're singing... When we're coming to church during the week, at every moment, so that God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, give us discernment as a body. Give us hearts to encourage one another in faith, to encourage one another to move by your Spirit that we would speak words of truth and life and not seek to dispel what Your Word says, Lord. Father, I pray that You would grant us peace as a body and that that peace would come from a knowledge that You, Lord, care for us and care that we know You and have a relationship with You.
Father, Your Word alone is true. Nothing that we can do will make it true. Because You have done everything. Lord, pour out Your Spirit afresh upon us. Begin to move in each of us individually that we would be listening to the move of Your Spirit, seeking to be used by You in the calling that You have placed upon us. And Lord, give us a compassion and a passion to reach the lost of this community, our state, our country, and our world, Lord. Guide us by Your hand, we pray. Lord, we know You are in control. Give us courage and wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I pray that the Lord does go with you and that His Spirit would rest upon you this week and that in those moments of this week as you're listening to His voice, when you're in prayer, begin to seek Him, asking Him to move through you in whatever way He desires and cry out for the gifts to flow because we need His Spirit to move in our midst. So...